BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Given the news of the week, I knew we needed to do a deep dive on Libra, so I called up our friend Brady Dale at Coindesk, and we get into it. What do crypto folk think of Libra? Is he surprised by the governmental backlash? And since by the time you hear this, Bitcoin might already be back above $10,000, are we out of the crypto winter and into crypto spring? Uh, All right. Basically, the main thing I want to know is... What is the broader crypto community's reaction to Libra? Like, um, is it positive? Is it like skepticism? Like, what, what just, I know that's a broad question, but what generally does it feel like crypto people think about this Facebook plan? Yeah, you know, I, I did a story on this, uh, and I, I, I think it's really, it's mixed. I would argue, and some people might yell at me for this, but I would argue that it's broadly positive. So, there's some there's some hardcores out there that uh, are are negative about it, or but I think in general crypto sees this as uh, validation and uh, and sees it as it's going to be a lot easier to get customers into other cryptocurrencies if Libra makes its way along. So in general, I think folks are upbeat, even if they're um, pretty skeptical. I mean, like you know, notably. Naval Ravikant, who a lot of people in tech uh, pay attention to, and people in crypto particularly pay attention to, you know, I opened a story I did with him. He was extremely skeptical. He's like, you know, there's good reasons to lower the cost of international transactions, but there's no particular reason to do that with a blockchain. I mean, he was profoundly doubtful about the value of Libra. But I think I think the folks who were who are running newer currencies or running companies based on this stuff. Uh, just see it as a potentially much better on ramp for them, so they see a, they see an opportunity here, even if they don't love the product itself. Right. So I guess you know the the bullish case if you're in crypto is this is the thing that could potentially make crypto go mainstream. But then at the same time, it does sort of feel like it could be a betrayal of a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the core tenets of of crypto projects in general because it is like this big powerful corporation wanting to come in and basically run a currency. I mean, that's what always happens, right? Like every time there's a, there's a revolution, the powers that be come along and go like, oh yeah, that was a fine idea. We'll take it. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it's, that is definitely true. No argument. Um, but as long as, uh, as long as they're not able to crush the rest of crypto and particularly the, the Bitcoin uh, mavens, like the maximalists out there really doubt that that's even possible for Facebook to do even still, um, unless they can just completely squelch the rest of it. Uh, there's still a good chance that uh, other cryptocurrencies can find, can find space in this new Facebook world regardless, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I heard, I, I definitely don't so, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I was even hearing whispers, uh, that like, you know, because all of a sudden bond rates are so low that like maybe that basket of like currencies and things that they, 
would need to to prop up this thing. Maybe they would even put things like Bitcoin inside that. Have you heard that too? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, Kyle Tamani at Multicoin floated that to me um, as a possibility. Right, like basically every international bond is in red territory now. So if you want a conservative pool of things to back this uh, that come from, you know, national governments that are, you know, you want to make one or two or three percent a year, like where do you find that? So um, you could offset those things, right, with some with some Bitcoin. I will say that um, I've been around some folks who are pretty close to this thing and, and they sort of laughed at that idea as pretty unlikely. But but one does have to ask, like, where are they going to get those super conservative, super reliable um, sources of that small return when the, when the traditional sources of those things are, are not looking great these days? Um, all right, clear this up for me, because I've also been seeing this in, in various places, that Libra is not actually blockchain, it's not actually a cryptocurrency, it's not actually permissionless, it's just kind of like using those buzzwords. So, uh, like, in a... In a well, they don't even claim it's permissionless. I mean, that's, that isn't even a claim. So, okay. uh, it's definitely not permissionless. And there's, no, there's no question about that. Well, ex- explain, to uh, me, explain to me the nuance here where people are saying it's not actually blockchain. Like, why are they saying that? What's the argument? Well, there's like not blocks. I don't know how much this really matters. You know, I mean, there, there's not blocks. I mean, like the way it uh, it works is, you know, in Bitcoin, like uh, the the unconfirmed transactions build up and then that makes a specific block, like a group of transactions uh, that get locked in together uh, and forever are bound together as a unit of time. Whereas on this on, on this uh, protocol, the idea is there is a group of unspent transactions, so that sort of looks like a block. Um, but then once they're all confirmed, there's no block distinction in the record. You know, like the, the record doesn't say like, oh, you know, these 20 transactions are like this chunk and these 20 are this chunk. But just there's no there's no concept of a block in it. I don't, how much does that matter? I don't know. I mean, there, there are a bunch of nodes that all have to find consensus on a common record and they, you know, they all look at it and say, yeah, we agree. Uh, that feels like enough like a blockchain uh, for it to be, you know, I mean, it's, it's the idea of distributed consensus. So it, it seems like kind of a, a silly point to quibble over to me. Um, they're definitely doing distributed consensus, that's for sure. Um, it's not permissionless. That's also true. So if it's if it's largely, look, we want we want this to be payments. We want this to be cross-borders, things like this. So, yeah. like, actually talking about actual projects, like, does that mean that things like Stellar or Ripple are in trouble? Uh, yeah, I think it's real dicey for them. And that's something also that um, that um, Ariana Simpson, uh, or Samson, sorry, uh, Simpson, uh, said in a, in, a, in a note to her limited partners that she shared with us is, uh, you know, she said, I don't think there's a danger to Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's going to be fine. But um, but these other uh, companies that are looking at those specific use cases, it does look dicey. Now, I think, I think Ripple, XRP, I think they would argue that they're not really looking at like cross-border payments or people. They're trying to help like big banks do cross-border payments. So I don't know. We'll see on that one. Uh, Stellar is really talking a lot about real remittances. They're talking about a lot of things, though. And this comes to one of the things which I find interesting, impressive, whatever about what Libra is doing is you see a lot of blockchains come along who say they can be all things to everyone. I mean, like EOS is like that. Ethereum's kind of like that. You know, they can solve all the world's problems. And Libra is just like, we're just about payments, man. We're about like getting people money that they can really use. 
Uh, and that'll obviously include decentralized finance things eventually, or, or just finance like loans and et cetera. But, but they aren't talking about like, you know, hosting distributed files or like, you know, sending YouTube. It's just like, it's completely focused on payments, which I find uh, disciplined and, and somewhat compelling. Uh, but you're right. Like the, the, the blockchains that are focused in that space, it does, it does make things look dicey for them if Libra gets off the ground. Let me, let me ask you a really maybe dumb question. But if it's just payments, why does it even need to be crypto? Why does it even need to be blockchain? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's exactly, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's exactly what Naval Ravikant said. It's just like, I don't see why this needs to be on a blockchain. And, you know, uh, very shortly thereafter, one of our reporters, our reporter in China, uh, Wolfie Zhao, uh, you know, checked in uh, and, and sort of found evidence from uh, WeChat and Alipay that they were both like, we're not going to do, uh, <laughs> we're not doing uh, blockchain. We see no reason to do it. So I think um, it, there's no technical reason why you have to do it. I think maybe being able to tap into this idea of distributed consensus enables Facebook to um, really push this idea that this isn't really just Facebook and lots of other people are involved. And, to, and the more people they can get involved, the less it looks just like Facebook. And so I think maybe that's the idea. Like if, they, if it really is distributed across a bunch of like big nodes controlled by a bunch of powerful entities, um, that may help it play better in the world. I don't know, but I do think it is sort of a PR thing. And um, I, think, I think the idea is helping uh, Facebook get some, some distance from it. But that's the best I can come up with. It's certainly not technically necessary, that's for sure. At least as far as like, smart people have said that to me that that's, that's the case. So you did have a, a really great piece where you ran down some of the various features that seeming it, it seems like they did their homework and they they you know picked best pieces best practices from all sorts of various other uh, crypto projects. So can you just run down some of those like um, like what it pulls from other projects and like even like what are the things like is it trying to do something different like next generationy that like might move crypto generally forward. Yeah. So like, so on the next generation thing, so, so, you know, I'm not a super technical guy, so I, I only get this stuff on the level that it gets explained well, but it does sort of seem to make sense. A, a great example of sort of an idea that did seem like it's maybe kind of smart and, and probably they stole this from somebody. I don't, I don't know who though, but, but, you know, like on Ethereum, when you create, so Ethereum is the second biggest blockchain in the world. Um, people know it as the smart contract blockchain and meaning that you can, uh, create software that sort of runs itself forever. You can have, you know, contracts between people that the code just enforces the rules. Um, so like, that's what Ethereum is known for. But like, if you, if, for example, on Ethereum, smart contracts have, uh, have the assets and the code in the same, uh, in the same object, you know? So if, if, if I want to create, so, so a big thing people did in the ICO days, and I mean, they're still doing it, is they would create a token and they would create rules for the token. And that would all exist in the same like smart contract object. Um, what, what Libra is doing is they're, they're, they're saying, we think smart contracts are a great idea, but we think the code and the asset should be separate. And as I understand that, what that means is um, that makes it easy if somebody writes a great smart contract for running some token, you know, because it sounds like you'll be able to create other tokens on this at some point, certainly not immediately, but or create other sorts of uh, asset objects on this. Um, someone creates a new kind of asset object and some other entity wants to create the same thing. They don't, they can just point, they can just create their asset and then point at that existing code and have that existing code run it. So that seems, 
so it's like um the the code is called modules and the assets are called like resources i think so that seems like an interesting you know development an interesting innovation um other things that are similar you know this it theoretically has on-chain governance it's talking about on-chain governance which that's the that was tezos's big idea um i think that it'll be a little mixed in terms of how it rolls out i think it'll actually just sort of do old-fashioned governance early on until they really decide on how they want that all to work um but it's still built from day one with uh on-chain governance ready to go it sounds like at least that's the way they describe it so you know that seems pretty smart um they um you know i compared it to uh there, there's this there's this idea of um of burning tokens in it which is right. something that i think binance made famous um a lot of a lot of a lot of protocols burn tokens and and reissue them they're not doing it the same way binance does i mean binance is doing it kind of like a buyback but what they're saying is um is just as whenever somebody uh and this is something we're seeing more and more of is this idea of uh there's not a uh, there's not a fixed supply of a thing, but the, the supply is set up to match exactly the demand at all times. So that's actually something uh, that's also in the way the new EOS social media platform that Block One is building called VoiceWorks is like the voice token is is constantly corresponding to like how much demand there is for its stuff out there. Similarly, uh, that's how that's how this one works. So if you if someone puts money in that'll that will that will issue new libra and if they extract fiat from an account which you can do you know without condition at any time that the story is told uh then it'll just burn it like it just goes away which you know other other stable coins work that way too so um so that's that's interesting because there is a fixed cap in the, the the cap like like bitcoin has a fixed cap forever but the cap is just exactly how much people want it at any one time uh, as opposed to just like an, an arbitrary number, which, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists argue is a, is a better approach. But this is this is still interesting. Um, so, yeah, it has a lot of things that we've seen other places. I don't know if they would necessarily agree with me crediting to their places in all the instances. I think the only two platforms they ever mentioned in their technical white paper are Bitcoin and Ethereum. But, I, you know, I saw a lot of similarities. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, the other one I think is worth citing is... Um, is Coda, which is like one of the coolest new blockchains I've seen out there. Uh, it's one that uses zero knowledge proofs, so that you don't, so that no one has to maintain the whole history of the blockchain because zero knowledge proofs just sort of prove it's all accurate. And similarly, I, I don't think that they're doing it quite that way, but they they do have it set up where uh, no node actually needs to hold on to the whole history forever, um, which you know has been a problem on EOS. EOS, a lot of EOS nodes are like running out of space; it's just too much. It's already built up. And so this is built in such a way where it's not essential um, for any node to hold on to the entire transaction history, because, you know, with different kinds of proofs, you can you can know that a transaction uh, that, that your ledger is accurate, even if you can't, you know, <laughs> compare, you can't look at all the records back to the dawn of time. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. 
Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Have you been um, surprised by the immediate response from governments? Like, some people have been like, well, duh, like you're literally getting into some of the sovereign power of countries and governments and things like that. Um, what, what do you think, what do you think of the response so far? Like where there's actually going to be a G seven thing about it. And like, we're going to have congressional hearings and stuff. Like, do you, do you foresee either various countries like saying, Nope, not going to happen in our borders, or at least uh, forcing Facebook to make meaningful changes before they, they let it happen. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be super complicated. Um, but, you know, Jerome Powell said that Facebook had come to them and he was pretty sure they've gone to basically every significant regular, regulator out there and talked to them. So I think they did a lot of pre-homework. You know, this is this is a big, bold move by Facebook. And, you know, going back to a topic that you've been covering a lot on Titan Year Ride, Ride Home is Facebook's pivot to privacy. You know, um, I just think Facebook is a giant. I, I agree with you that that the pivot to privacy is real, but if it's real, they need to do something dramatic to create a new um, to create a new business model for themselves, or at least you know add some new lines to that business model. And so I think this is that dramatic move, and I, I think this is a this is a big wild gamble. And there will be tons of pushback, there'll be tons of fights, um, but my guess is they're gambling that there will be parts of the world in which people will be like, uh, either we're fine with it or, um, or they're just not going to resist it that hard because they don't have strong governments and Facebook is gambling. They can go into those places, uh, have it start working. And if it goes well, that just makes it easy to expand out. Um, so, uh, but I think there will be, I think there's a great chance there'll be a ton of like very big fights around it. I don't think that's surprising at all. Okay, so we're, we're kind of dancing around this, and this is this is asking you to really be speculative. But mm-hmm. if if it is, what if at the end of the day, this is just Facebook trying to pivot into 
being a WeChat or an Alipay, one of those Asian style super apps. And all okay. of all of this other stuff about like crypto and stuff is just kind of window dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I Does mean, I think it is definitely that, you know, I mean, I think uh, Facebook definitely wants to head off WeChat and Alipay at the pass and uh, to become a super app in the places uh, that it's that they aren't yet. Um, is it just window dressing? I don't know. I mean, it seems like uh, I don't see how it's hard to see another way for Facebook to get money onto the platform, especially given all the doubts about it without working with a bunch of partners at this point. So, um, but I do think that that is a giant part of Menlo Park's goal here is that they see WeChat and Alipay, um, doing their business model vastly better than they are. So I want to, in terms of secular things, this is a little bit of an aside, but I just, I just want to say this is my big thought about this. And I think it relates to, so Facebook needs a bunch of partners to make this happen uh, because people are skeptical about them. They need to make it look like there's a lot of people involved. Uh, they also just need their help. Uh, they need, you know, big powerful institutions to help them get into payments and stuff because they've never been good at that. But I, one thing I definitely have serious doubt, I, I'm only giving one of the big arguments of this is it'll eventually go completely permissionless and, you know, everyone in the world can be a part of validating this blockchain, just like any other big major public blockchain. Um, I'm putting the odds of that ever actually happening at 17%, at least assuming the, the Libra plan works out, because I just don't see a world in which this actually becomes big and powerful and is used a lot of places and, and Visa and MasterCard realize that they made the right call in joining this thing. And then they just agreed to like turn over all this power to the entire world. I just can't. I just can't envision a scenario in which, if Libra works, it actually ever becomes a truly permissionless, open, decentralized blockchain. That just seems crazy to me. So I have tons of doubt about that. But I do think that yeah, the big goal here is to a find a new business model and b uh, not let WeChat and Alipay steal their business model. Yeah, it's. You mentioned like the the payments like PayPal, Venmo, Square. Like they're all on board. A Visa, Mastercard. Square is not very very oh. excitingly. Square is not. That's oh, interesting. interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but but um, but yeah, yeah. It seems to me that that those would be the ones that this would kind of eat their lunch, and they're on board. What do you make? Because uh, I I talked about this this week. No no banks are on board. Like first, so, so it's a two part question. Why are the payment P players on board, uh, is it maybe keep your enemies close or whatever? And why are there no banks on board? I think that I think the payments people are on board because it's a way to hedge against the chance that cryptocurrency really does take off. Um, so, you know, if cryptocurrency really takes off, if cryptocurrency really becomes the, the way payments are done in the future, um, at least they can have been in on sort of one of the biggest beginnings of it and maybe work out their business models from there. So that's what makes sense to me. Um, in the early days, you know, those guys will be the on-ramp. They'll, they'll be the way to um, take some dollars and buy some Libra. So um, I just think it's a, it's a bet for them. It's like better to be in on this new world in some way that kind of makes sense to them than to completely let it go by them. Um, as for the banks, you know, that's like, the rumors around that are, are so wild. Like all the banks are publicly saying Facebook never even talked to them. You know, we've definitely heard rumors that there are banks who are interested. So um, we'll just see. But I mean, uh, the banks make the big banks, the ones who are global, make a pile of money off of people moving cash around the world and switching between currencies as they do it. 
Um, you know, Tyler Cohen wrote about this in his blog. He was like, Facebook going after that giant pool of free money that these super banks uh, have been relying on since forever is a is a giant political attack at them. And and he you know he asked the question: Have banks ever lost a fight like this? So um, if if it's true that they really aren't talking to banks, um, I think it's because uh, Facebook and company know um, that this is a, a huge threat to the to the global payment system that has just been a free money gravy chain trained to those giants for a really long time before i let you go uh i just looked it up right now um the price of bitcoin is about 150 dollars under ten thousand. Um, mm-hmm. should we derive anything meaningful if uh if bitcoin crosses that ten thousand dollar mark again you know it's just an it's just an arbitrary number right but, uh but it, but it, but it is also true you know uh, our guys who who watch those moves um, always point out what the psychological thresholds are, and that is a psychological threshold. So um, there's going to be, as it approaches, if, if we get over 10,000 again, which, you know, who knows, but if we do, there's going to be a long period of hesitation around 10,000, most likely as sort of the bears and bulls, you know, have their negotiation in the market. Um, and if it does go past it, I mean, that is that that is a stronger... It's a stronger signal, I think, as I understand these markets, moving from 9999 to 10,001 than moving from like 9990 to 9991, you know, because the market, uh, those those numbers do have a psychological effect. So if it moves past, that is a, a sign that the market seems to be deciding to move uh, to move bullishly. Uh, that's, you know, I don't do this stuff. All, I don't do the market stuff all the time. But that's how I understand it. So I, I think if it crosses ten thousand, that does mean that does mean something. That's a positive signal. Well, we last time we spoke it was earlier this year. I feel like it was deep in the in the crypto winter still. Just in a general mm-hmm. in, in a general basis, are people feeling like the thaw is here? Spring is here? Or are are people generally in crypto more bullish than they were six months ago? Yeah, this is definitely this definitely feels like crypto spring. I mean, uh, when when. We were when consensus happened in May. Uh, there was a lot of people just talking about how they've been happily building and feel good about the stuff that they've been making. And on some level, you know, crypto winter kind of like let them be left alone to like move forward. But none of them stopped, and a lot more money came into the market. And the fruits of some of those things are starting to to come out. We're starting to see the things people are building. So I think folks are excited about that. And then you know we see that one of the biggest companies in the entire world has decided to like make a big bet on crypto. Like even if they, even if they tank, that's like really validating. Um, so, and you know, weirdly, I mean, like the SEC is starting to like really make its moves, which like a lot of them are painful. Um, but at least like clarity is coming, you know? So I think there's just a lot of, a lot of ways in which um, the, the crypto is feeling good about its prospects over the next little bit. And I, I think, yeah, at least if, if spring isn't here, at least like something of a thaw uh, seems to be here. 